Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, I'm fired up to share with you stories that help you live inspired. After today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com with your feedback, maybe your guest suggestions for future shows, stories on how this podcast has helped you live more inspired, or questions that you have for me. Again, send that email to me at podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. And now, let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Richard Branson wrote that there are no quick wins in business or in life. It takes years to become an overnight success. I think Branson's right. And the reality of that quote is certainly in play in every one of our lives, but perhaps in particular with today's guest. The first movie Jake McIntyre wrote is called Run the Race Just 14 years after writing it, that's right, just 14 years, it was finally produced and then finally turned into a full-length feature movie. My friends, today, you are in for a treat. Buckle up, open wide your minds and your hearts, grab your journals, and prepare to take some notes, because we're going to be spending some time learning from an actor, a writer, a producer, a father, a husband, a son— and an overnight success just 14 years in the making, Jake McIntyre, on what it takes to not only uncover what we are called to do in life, but how we can steadfastly pursue that dream. Jake, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. John, happy to be here, brother. Man, we are thrilled to have you on our show, and I bragged about you a moment ago as part of the introduction, but for those who don't really yet know Jake McIntyre or your work, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do today. I'm just a guy that grew up in Texas that had a dream to encourage people to to inspire, and uh, I like telling stories. I like making movies. I'm a 2006 graduate from Dallas Baptist University. Uh, with a biblical studies degree. But before that, I was an actor at University of North Texas, University of Texas, and started writing in 2004, Run the Race, which is my first feature film um, that I got off the ground as a writer, producer, and I even acted in it. Now it's 14 years later, and I'm a 36-year-old guy, been married 12 years with a two-year-old boy almost, and uh, just looking to keep on keeping on. (laughs) That is a great snapshot of a race well run, my friend. It begins even before, though, your schooling and even before your little boy comes along and even before you met Charity. Take us way back to North Texas. Take us back to growing up with five brothers. I just want you to talk about what, what it was like for you growing up as a kid. So I grew up in a little town called White Wright, Texas. Um, it's 1,600 people. You know, I grew up in a house with five brothers, you know. So every Sunday, my dad would just say, boys, get in the van. We're going to church. And we would... <laughs> all get in the van, go to church, and we all played sports every season because this is back in the 90s when technology wasn't running rampant and you actually played outside as a kid. 
we loved movies, um, trying to go for our dreams. When I was nine years old, my parents got divorced. It was a very, very hard time because my two older brothers are half brothers. So they went with my dad and me and my two younger brothers at the time went with my mom. And I remember my dad was just devastated. And every, every other weekend when, when we would see him, he would take us to the dollar movie. Mm-hmm. And we would literally all, all, all the boys would watch. Uh, one day we watched five movies at the theater. This is 1992. It was a great year for movies. So you would see something like A River Runs Through It or Last of the Mohicans, or you might see Wayne's World 2 or Weekend at Bernie's or something. You know, uh-huh. like we would just fall in love with movies and, and the art of storytelling. And so growing up, it was like, uh, it was all just this. This wasn't a whole lot of sibling rivalry, even though we were super competitive. It was kind of this, my dad built this into us, this all for one, one for all mentality. And he would just say every now and then, hey, guys, it's not us against each other. It's us against the world. Just to encourage. Growing up, I was raised in the faith. I got saved when I was six. And then I was acting in high school and I was just playing football at the same time. And um, I was just like, I want to do this. I want to tell stories. And it was interesting when we would be at the dollar movie with my dad. We would look over and even we were going through this divorce and he we would look over and he'd be laughing or smiling and we would just he would look at us and you know have that twinkle in his eye again and we were just kind of like we have our dad back and right. I want to give people that feeling I want to move people's hearts in the same way that movies did my family. Well, you are doing that. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But before you were able to do that, you had another dream. As I understand it, you uh, you imagine yourself not necessarily in Hollywood, but in Dallas wearing, uh, what, silver and blue, playing on Sundays. You had a dream of being a Dallas Cowboy football player. Oh, absolutely. I, I think every a boy growing up around Dallas, if you've even touched a football, wants to play at Texas Stadium or now, you know, uh, Jerry World, as it is. <laughs> um, but you grow up, in, especially in the early mid-90s, you know, you got Aikman and Irvin and Emmett and the Cowboys are killing it, you know, back-to-back Super Bowls and you just dream of playing football. So that was my dream. You know, I was fortunate enough to be on a high school football team, White Right, in 2000. And we went four rounds deep into the playoffs, um, finally lost to a team that won the state championship. Friday Night Lights was just, it, it's, it's a real thing down here. It yes. is real. And it is, people care so much. And and so, yeah, playing football, just the, the highs and lows and just the intensive passion and energy of it. I think every kid gets bit by that in North Texas. Jake, how did one of six boys in North Texas, town of 1600, dreaming of being the next Emmett Smith or whatever the dream was back then, tough kid though, how did you end up getting into acting? It, it seems um, it seems like frequently, unfortunately, there's a wall between the two. How did you bridge that wall? I think that's the beautiful thing about growing up in a small town is that you did everything. We played football, basketball, baseball, even had to run track, even though we didn't really like it. It was just everybody did everything just because there wasn't a whole lot of people. I mean, I graduated with a class of 51. Right. And I was salutatorian, not just because I'm really smart, just because there's only 51 people in there, you know? <laughs> uh, no offense to anybody else that graduated with me. I love them. They're still all my friends. But all that to say, you know, you get to experience all these different just activities, you know? So when the one act play would roll around, it was like, hey, let's act. I mean, there wasn't a, even a question. It was like, hey, let's go, let's go try our hand at this. And, I remember being in middle school, and I, I grew up loving Saturday Night Live. That's another thing. My, my dad and my brothers, we always watched Saturday Night Live in the 90s. And this was with, you know, Chris Farley. Oh, that's Adam right, Sandler. the heyday, man. I think it's the heyday. I mean, you got Dana Carvey and Mike Myers just, I mean, everybody's loaded in there. We would act out these Saturday Night Live skits in, in middle school. And I remember I actually 
Uh, I was like five foot three, 110, 15 pounds as an eighth grader. And I uh, put a pillow underneath my shirt. My buddy made a plywood table and we did the Chris Farley motivational speaker skit. And I crushed this plywood table um, in one take and almost knocked, I knocked the wind out of myself, but I, I held it together. And it was so funny that I was just like, I really like doing this. So in high school, okay, football season's over. I'm still playing some baseball and basketball, but you know what? Let's do the one act play. And mm-hmm. we had a good group of guys. We actually did one flew over the cuckoo's nest when I was a senior in high school. And I got to, you know, be the Jack Nicholson McMurphy character. Oh. And we, we took that to state and got to go down to Austin as a little bitty school and compete against these big dog schools. And, and it was really cool. We held our own and got all-star cast. But, you know, I think it was right then and there towards the end of high school, you know, I uh, tore my ACL as a senior in high school. And this is back in 2001 where you tell your ACL and people look That's at it. you like, oh, he's over. You yeah. know, now they're like, oh, it's an ACL. He'll be back in five months. And so I just kind of converted everything to acting. And I said, hey, probably got a better shot at being an actor, even though that's not easy to do, than I do playing in the NFL. So I just kind of moved over into that realm. Well, it's one thing to act. You're kind of performing someone else's will, if you will. It's a completely different genre to begin writing. How'd you get into writing? Writing is the hardest thing I've ever done. Preaching is very, very hard, and I don't take that lightly at all. Writing is super hard. I had no idea what I was doing. So here's what I did. I I had this story in my head about these two brothers growing up in a small town, trying to go for their dreams up against the world. And they're pulling for one another. And I just kind of had it in my heart. Okay, one brother believes in God, one brother doesn't. So there's going to be a good dynamic there. But I had no idea what I was doing. So I literally I was teaching high school at the time. and I'd kind of already written some stuff by hand, but I had no idea how to write a script. So this is how naive I was. I just printed off Shawshank Redemption script. And Sling Blade script by Billy Bob Thornton. Right. And I was like, my story is kind of like a Sling Blade backdrop, that kind of rural setting. But I wanted the dynamic of the, the friendship and the brothers to be like Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins on Shawshank. And so I literally just go, OK, here's these scripts. I guess I got to make <laughs> my brother's life to run the race, which is what it was called then. Look like that. And I just set off on trying to write this thing. I didn't had no idea what I was doing. I wasn't even using a screenwriting software. I was mm. using Microsoft Word to write a screenplay. So I'm literally like hitting the space bar 13 times before I can add a character <laughs> to the movie. You know, it was terrible. It took me forever. I wrote a 190 page script. I give it to some of my buddies who I met later who were in film and they go, Jay, you didn't write a script. You wrote a miniseries, brother. And you're a good storyteller, but you have no screenwriting experience. So they gave me a screenwriting book called Save the Cat. And then in 2011, I got it from 190 down to 147 pages and then down to 127 pages and just started kind of honing that in and and learning. So it took a long time for me just to even learn the structure of screenwriting, you know, because me, I was just shooting from the hip like, I think this would be cool. So I'm putting it in there. The work you created at the end of the day is awesome. And we will talk about Run the Race the fact that you created it, 14 years of investment. For me, the opportunity to bring you on our show, that, that's kind of where I want to focus today. It's just that the 14 years, man. So what kept you going? You pray for God to give you dreams and you pray to do big things for his kingdom and you hope that those things happen. And then honestly, I just say whatever he puts on your heart, the little dream that keeps coming back subliminally when you're not trying to dream and you start thinking to myself, okay, I keep thinking about this. This is still lingering. This is still weighing on me. And then you start praying for yourself. You say, God, if you want me to do this and tell me to go do it and tell me how to do it and open up the doors 
And as you pursue it, it would get so hard because I had to write a script. And then my acting agent in 2011 said, okay, Jake, you've written a good script, but nobody's going to read it because you've never written a script before. Mm -hmm. So she said, you need to go make a little six minute concept trailer to show people what it's going to look like when you make it into a two hour film. I said, okay. So in January, 2012, we shot a little six minute concept trailer that showed people what run the race would look like. I actually acted as the lead. I was 28 playing an 18 year old that got kind of viral, but then it died out. And then I'm like, okay, I've got to raise, I guess what a million or $2 million to make a really good film. How do I do that? When I was talking about a second ago, praying for yourself, you pray for God to open up doors. You pray for him to advance you. At the same time, my wife and I would pray against ourselves and just say, Jesus, if we're not supposed to do this, then get us out of here. Mm -hmm. If we're not supposed to do this, then please shut this down and tell us to do something else because we'd appreciate it. This is really hard right now. Jake, it seems along the path that about every single time you started raising the white flag, just saying, okay, I'm I'm done. We get it. We're, we're not going to follow through on this. That almost like literally the following day, the phone would ring, the door would knock, something would happen. Absolutely. It was almost spontaneous. The whole gist of Run the Race is you run after God, and as long as you have him, you have everything you need no matter what happens to you. And so, yeah, that sounds really good. It looks good on paper. But then when you when God says, all right, that's great, Jake, now I'm going to have you live it out and see if you really believe this stuff. <laughs> that's the tough part. And literally, when Jesus would talk to me or God and he would just say, hey, Jake, are you okay if it's me and you and no movie? Because you better be, Jake, or else everything you wrote in that script isn't true about me and you. Whenever you get those heart-wrenching times of just being alone with God and you have that put on you, and then you're finally like, all right, yeah, I really am, Lord, just completely okay if it's just me and you. Then the phone would ring. Then he shows up and says, I'm here and I'm going to take care of you. I just wanted to make sure your heart's in the right place before I do it. Mm. And he's continued to do that. When we finally got funded, I had set out to play the lead role. I mean, I had written this character for me. I mean, I wanted this to be my goodwill hunting like Matt Damon. Yeah. Then all of a sudden he's like, Jake, are you okay if it's me and you in the movie, but no role? <laughs> because you better be or else everything in that script isn't true about me and you. And it would ring true all over again. And whenever you're finally at a place where you're like, Lord, I am, I am content with you. I wrote this script saying if people get you, they get everything they need, no matter what happens to them. And I'm okay. Whenever your heart's in a place where Jesus can actually show up and bless you, whenever God says, yeah, it's okay to give you what you're asking for because your heart's right. I think that is the biggest thing I want to encourage people that are trying to go for their dreams, especially if their dreams have any kind of direction or, or kind of arrows pointing to say, hey, look at God. Jake, I, I want you to share with us how you came to know Tim and Robbie Tebow. Of course, the majority of our listeners will know Tim Tebow, but talk briefly about them, how you got to meet them, and what is it like, man, sitting across from them, sharing your vision for this? I'm writing Run the Race by hand in 2004 at Dallas Baptist University, and a guy sitting next to me who became my best friend, still is, is a guy named Trey Brunson, whose dad was the pastor at the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas in the late 90s. Trey and I both graduated in 06. Dr. Mac Brunson left First Baptist Dallas and went to First Baptist Jacksonville, Florida, where he was there 10 or so years. Trey graduated and went with him, which just happens to be the hometown and home church of guys named Tim Tebow and Robbie Tebow. I, writing this script, you know, I'm getting it off the ground. And, you know, at this time at 06 and 08, Tim Tebow's winning national championships. And then I finally get a 
the screenplay written is 2011. We're trying to get a, a concept trailer. We have that 2012. And then in 2013, Dark Night of the Soul for me, I'm praying at my house with my wife, Charity, saying, God, if you want to shut this dream down, please do it. Tell me what else to do. I just want to do whatever you want. And I told my buddy the next day, this little job I was working, I said, hey, Anthony, I think I'm about to give up. I think I'm about to give up. I think the Lord's giving me peace to give up. Just then, as I'm talking, the phone rang. It's Trey Brunson saying, hey, bro, I just talked to Robbie Tebow. He called me seeing if they can get Timmy in here to, to preach. I asked him, hey, you interested in inspirational films? Robbie said, yes, we are. We just haven't found one that really resonated with us yet. We've read about 50 scripts and passed on them all. Trey said, well, check out my friend Jake's script, Run the Race, and his little six-minute concept trailer. Robbie watched it, showed it to Tim, told Trey, we love it. We want to meet this guy. So literally two months later, I'm on a phone call with Robbie, very first phone call ever. We talked for almost three hours. And he just said, Jake, he said, Timmy and I look for vehicles that have the potential to go around the world for God and to encourage people. And he goes, we think around the race may be one of those vehicles. Come out to L.A. and meet Timmy. Fall of 2013, I come out to L.A. I go into a, a room with attorneys and uh, Robbie and there's Timmy across the table. They just said, Jake, tell them the story. So I just unpacked the entire story, run the race to Tim. And at the very end, Robbie and the attorneys were crying. They had tears in their eyes. And I saw the hairs on Tim's arm stand up. And he just kind of leaned in forward and was like listening to this story. And at the end of it, he just said, man, God's doing something behind this. He said, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. Tim was 26 years old. This right. is six years ago. You know, this is, he's still trying to play football. He was trying to figure that out. We finally got funded three years later in 2016. Now I consider those guys brothers. I just add two more to the five I already have. <laughs> Jake, you did a seven minute preview of this before the movie was ever produced or funded. Give our listeners a 30 second version of that. So in 30 seconds, what what is Run the Race really about? Run the Race is about two brothers kind of living on their own in a small town, uh, trying to go for their dreams. They're in high school. They're about to graduate. Their mom has died of cancer when they were little. Their dad's kind of a runaway drunk. And so it's them trying to go for their dreams and trying to get out of this town using any vehicle possible, whether that be a football scholarship, a track scholarship. The only caveat in it is one brother believes in God and one brother doesn't. One brother kind of ran away from God whenever the mom died. And then their dad just kind of spiraled out of control and he's out of the picture. And so it's these two brothers, and they have two different worldviews, but they love each other deeply, and they never leave each other's side, and they're always in each other's corner, even if they disagree on things. And so it's about them trying to go for their dreams, and man, the stuff hits the fan in this movie, but the whole point of Run the Race is you run after God, and you get him, you run after your dreams as hard as you can, and as long as you have God, you have everything you need, no matter what happens to you. And that's, that's Run the Race. You're on somebody's radar, son. I'm gonna get that scholarship. I'm gonna get us out of here. We're family. We're family. You're a drunk who left us after our mom died. Yeah! Oh, you're as good at football. What did you say? They give scholarships for track. I can do this. And you're gonna come with me. Trust him. He's gonna meet you wherever you're at. I believe in the plan, and I believe in you. God does love you like crazy. At the end of it, there's, of course, well, I would imagine most people know there's a victory, but there's a lot of falls along the way. In some parts, there, it, it gets dark and hard. Much of our riding comes out of our own experience. Is, is that true in this case? Oh, 100%. I mean, every single thing that happened in Run the Race either happened to me, one of my brothers, or one of our best friends. 
And that's pretty cool. You know, so people are like, is it a fictional story? It is because you know, I created it, of course, but I cherry picked the good and the bad that happened to me and all my brothers and all my friends throughout my entire life living in a small town. It's really cool to watch it now and and to see a scene and say, yeah, that didn't happen to me, but it happened to my friend Jeremiah. It happened to Tommy. And I can just call that out. You write that way because you write what you know. And that's the stuff I know because I did life with those guys. You also, at the end of the day, don't want somebody watching your film, especially a movie like this and saying, man, that's not believable, man. Right. It's not believable. So that's a big thing, too. We wanted to make this thing raw and gritty. And, and like you said, there is a victory at the end, but it's not the victory you think. Right. And it comes with a lot of pain. And that's usually how, like you just said, a lot of the victories in our life happens that way. Man, you started this at 21. Just started shaving three days earlier, probably. It got <laughs> wrapped up at 35. I'm curious, how are you different at 35 when this thing was finally produced than you were when the journey began at 21? What, what changed in you? You're super naive when you're 21. And that's honestly one of your best friends. I believe Bob Thornton has always said that when he went to Hollywood at 21, he didn't get anything happening until he was close to 40. He said, if you think today's the day, you'll be okay. And just being naive, but there's a, a certain amount of what you lack in wisdom you make up for in zeal when you're 21. Mm. Now, I don't have that energy. I'm 35, 36. I still got some energy, as you can see on the <laughs> interview here. Man, I would have hated to know you at 21. <laughs> I was too much, even for my own self. But if the zeal you have at 21... As, as you get older, you still have it. You still have it. I mean, you still see guys like Lou Giglio bringing the passion every single time he preaches and guys like Matt Chandler. These guys just have endless energy and passion for the Lord. But you just gain a little bit more wisdom. My attorney says, Jake, you're not calloused. You're just saged mm. because you go through a ton of heartbreak, which kind of makes you calloused and kind of makes you go, ah, I don't want to do this. But he calls it saged as in you've just been around the track a few times and you've been on the bull a few times. You kind of know what to expect. and yeah, you still might get bucked off in one second, but it ain't going to be the first time it's happened to you. You just kind of have a little bit less confidence in man in a healthy right, way. Right. But you have more confidence in God. It evens itself out so well because you go, you know what? If God's going to do it, he's going to do it. So you just walk into meetings with just going, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to do this. If God wants this to happen, there's really not a single thing these people can do about it. And, and so you have that confidence, but you also go into it saying, hey, I'm going to love these people. I'm going to trust these people. You hear what they say, uh, but you don't have all your eggs in their basket. Right. You've got all your eggs in God's basket because he'll do it. Might take 14 years, but he'll do it his own way. <laughs> Rather than giving me the big grandiose numbers of how many how many folks have seen it or downloaded or watching in the theaters – Give me the, the the number one. What What's one letter, one conversation, one phone call, one coffee that you had with someone where they shared the impact of the movie on them? This one always hits me in the heart. I graduated with a girl who now, you know, we're in her mid to late 30s and she has a little six-year-old boy. I haven't talked to her in 15 years. You know, and we've received hundreds of letters and emails. They're coming in all the time right now. There's, people are buying the Blu-ray and DVD and I'm getting hit up. The people that actually missed it in the theater. So we're just getting, they're not ending. So that's great. But this one resonates and always kind of makes me tear up. She put on Facebook, she said, hey, Jake, just want to let you know, took my whole family to see Run the Race tonight. I thought it might have been a little heavy and over the head of my six-year-old boy until he asked to say the prayer that night at the kitchen table. And he just said, God, all our family wants is your will for us, even though we don't know what that is. And for a little six-year-old boy to, mm -hmm. to be moved and 
to resonate with the spirit on that. So just for him to have, first of all, the chops to say, I want to pray tonight. <laughs> right. And then to unpack something that, you know, as theologically deep that Tim Keller would give a high five to <laughs> is you're like, man, that's what run the race is all about. It's encouraging kids and people to look upon the will of God and say, God, I trust you no matter what. That's a big one for me. That's a big one for us. So Jake, as you look forward, whether it's as a spouse, as a father, son, and now as a producer, leader, writer, what's next for you? I'm actually going to Colorado in a week or so to meet up with Robbie Tebow and going to spend a week up there in the mountains with him, beat this Texas heat because it's getting crazy down here. <laughs> and literally, we're just going to unpack the stories that God's puts on our heart, that the new scripts we have and and just try to figure out what's next. But we've got two or three in the mill, just kind of wanting to pray and figure out for the Lord to point at that one and say, go. Awesome. Well, brother, we have seven questions that tether all of our guests together. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. And the very first question for Jake McIntyre is, Jake, what's the best book you've ever read? Besides the Bible, that's a Sunday school answer. It's a book, but it's a devotional. But he, he writes in such a way that I think it hits you no matter what. And that's The Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon. Wow. And I, and I call that, it's, it's a book because it's heavy. It is heavy. But that little book, little bitty book, has encouraged me and lifted me out of the muck and the mire more than any other book besides the Bible in my entire life. And you read it in the evening, you read it in the morning, because Charles Spurgeon crow hops and punches you in the gut every single time. And I love it. I love getting it pumped up for the Lord and, and just encouraged. And uh, this is a guy that battled with depression a lot in his life and had death threats all the time in England back in the 1800s. What's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I was overly optimistic about everything mm. as a child. And I think as you grow older and uh, the world continues to kick you in the pants. I am not as optimistic <laughs> as I used to be. Sometimes I am. But I guess just whenever you're a child and you just see a little boy dreaming and you just see a little boy and he's so optimistic and he's just so has so much enthusiasm and zeal, just living like this is can and will happen hmm. no matter what. I, I think just, just being that free to dream that way. And I still do occasionally, but not as rapid fires I did as a little boy. Man, I would just remind you, 14 years, that little boy was encouraging his older version to remain optimistic and faithful and enthusiastic and zealous. So uh, I don't think you're as far away from that little kid as you may think. I it, love to hear that. It's true, man. So keep going. If your home caught fire and all living things are out and you have an opportunity to go in and grab one item, what's that one item that you would grab? Other than my son and my wife. Silas is out. Charity is out, man. You're, they're safe. The animals are out. Now, now go back in and get one thing. Right now, it would be this old computer that I have that has pictures on it that are not backed up. And it really is just all the pictures from 2007 from our wedding and, and all the pictures of me growing up. I, knew I really need to get another hard drive and back this thing up like tomorrow. Mm. But I, I would go in there and grab that computer filled with all those pictures and memories that you know you can't ever have back. Jake, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want to be seated right next to on that bench? I'd probably say Billy Graham. He was always my hero growing up and 
I went and saw him several times, 2002 in Dallas, 2003 in Oklahoma City. He was in his older years, but he was still bringing it. Just because I think his testimony of just 60 years of ministry, 60 years of marriage, and there's not one controversial story about this guy. He just lived above reproach, and he lived in a very humble way, a little farmer from, you know, milk farm from North Carolina. And I would just love just to talk to him and hear his stories. What's one question you would ask Billy Graham? First question would be just... Did you ever dream your life would turn out the way it did? And just to tell me how it happened and why God did it. And, and just what's your secret of just being obedient? I think that is it because um, obedience is why and humility is why I think God put Billy on that pedestal because those two things, I mean, it's, it's hard to be humble and it, it's, and it's hard to be obedient. And he, he mastered those. And I would just say, what, what are the secrets of just humility and, and obedience? Can you just, Throw at me some Solomon wisdom in the words of BG. <laughs> What's the best advice BG or anyone else has ever given you? One guy said, you can't make deals with God. He runs the world by his word and his character. So make your prayers just just humble and innocent to him. Don't try to sell Jesus on anything. Just say, hey, I, I got this feeling. I got this in my heart. Is it worth pursuing? And, and just really, the best advice would just be put everything at the foot of the cross. Everything. Even little simple stuff. And then just wait, and that's really hard. Just wait till you are undeniably clear that God is telling you to do something. You know, we're all going to die and stand foot at the judgment seat of Christ one of these days. Whenever he brings up a subject, you better be able to look him in the eyes, and he looks at you and you look at him, and you know full well he told you to do it. Hmm. And that's, I think, the piece that I've had with Run the Race. When he talks about Run the Race, he'll be like, yeah, I told you to sell your house. Yeah, I told you to risk everything. Yeah, I told you to do that. And I'm asking for that piece on what's next. Jake, I'm going to ask this question. It's a kind of 5.2 for our listeners who may or may not be believers or seekers. How do you know if it's God's voice in your worldview or your own will and your own desire and your own dream that's telling you to sell the house? It's between you and God. And what I mean by that is um, he's never going to tell you something to do that's 100% contradictory to his word. I mean, Jesus told people all the time, hey, Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. You know, not everybody did it. He told the young rich ruler, hey, go do these things. And he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to sell his house and you know, go follow Jesus. So I would honestly say uh, make sure it lines up with Scripture. Uh, get enormous amount of people that are in your council, that are sound, that are wise people. You know, a lot of people told me I was crazy, though. So that's the thing. <laughs> so a lot of people are like, when's your give up date? Mm-hmm. These are people like close friends in my family. A lot of people are like, hey, you selling your house, this is stupid. And what you're doing is stupid. But they said it then. Right. And I, I think, honestly, it is between you and God. And if it's if the ultimate goal is to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ and not yourself, um, and what you're doing can, can have other people look upon that in, in a great way, then I think it's from the Lord. You know, at the end of the day, all you can take with you to heaven is your friends and your family. Jake McIntyre, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Relax. <laughs> <laughs> I think, honestly, I graduated from high school, and I had all this passion and energy and zeal, and I still do to a degree. But I put a lot of unnecessary pressure on myself. felt like if I, would, if I wasn't doing something big for God right now, I just, I'm a failure. I think, honestly, if I could go back and, at 36 and talk to a 20-year-old Jake, I'd say, man, just, just relax, brother. Just Jesus and God's going to do it on his timing. But there's a lot of stuff you need to learn before you just start letting you out there in the wild, just doing this stuff. 
And I think, honestly, I would just tell myself, hey, just take in each day. I'm still telling myself this. Relax. Take in each day. Um, just really enjoy each day with God and your family and your friends because you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, Billy Graham was 99, but there's a lot of people that are missionaries that are going in their 20s. And we've heard those stories. I would just say, yeah, just relax. Just take deep breath and just enjoy the day that God has made. Enjoy him. Well, Jake, it has been said, my friend, that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? This guy ran after God and his dreams as hard as he could and encouraged everyone to do the same. Well, Jake McIntyre, you ran hard. You ran the, the good race, and uh, you are now encouraging the rest of us to run alongside with you. I want to thank you for your 14 years of obedience. I want to thank you for your faith, your encouragement, and for uh, the impact that you're having. I appreciate you, John. It's been a wonderful brother. Thank you for having me on, man. My friends, that is Jake McIntyre. The movie is called Run the Race. I am John O'Leary. This is your day, my friends. Check out that movie and live inspired. My friends, thank you so much for listening to today's Live Inspired podcast. I hope you share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your letter carrier, your dog walker, that stranger seated next to you on the bus ride, that lady working out right next to you, the guy checking out in front of you. In other words, share with everyone that you're listening and that you are subscribing to the Live Inspired podcast together as a Live Inspired community. And yes, that includes you. You are part of this community. Together, we can change the world. I can't wait to share with you the next episode.